2: It
1: depends. Yes. Yeah. Depends on what?
2: Like, it, it depends on, like, basically, who who are your neighbors. I said some areas, because, like, if you're, like, see, I'm in South Boston. There's a lot of, like, white Irish people. And I'd say from the Irish people I know, they're racist. If you're white, you know, you're kind of born into being privileged. And when you're privileged, that comes with more money, and it's vice versa. It's the opposite for black people because um, when you're born to some type of privilege, you tend to think that you're superior to people who are not. So I don't I think Boston's racist, but I think that they were born into like that like method of like superiority and all that stuff.
3: Previously, in Greater Boston,
4: the count was in. the city of Red Line was officially a thing. An hour later, Park Street Station is empty. Paul Montgomery's supporters all gone home, still wondering why their mayor has gone away.
3: I worked too hard to let this all go to hell. And need I remind you, this is all we've got right now. So if you're not going to let me do it, get to work at figuring it out yourself. Oh
0: no, no! Where is it? Did he take something? Your, your wallet? My crystal ball. I could try to find it for you. Redline. And Cambridge. I'm from Dorchester. Jamaica Plain. Ruvia. Hanson. Wellesley. Lowell.
1: Redline. Worcester. Uh, I'm from Somerville. Peabody. Tuxbury. Roslindale.
3: P-B-D. P-B-D. Tuxbury. Roslindale.
1: Andover. Dorchester.
3: Framingham.
5: Yeah. This, right. and
4: this, this is Lowell. This is... Ruvia. Methuline. This is... This is... This
3: is... Greater Boston.
4: This week in Greater Boston, Episode 13, Mayor Linzer Coolidge and the Lottery. When she was a little girl, Charlotte knew she was going to tell stories when she grew up. She knew because she was already doing it and had no intention of stopping. Dozens of stories, short sketches, one or two page romps, some longer epics with illustrations adorning every page, lush with color and sharp design cardboard covers carefully cut from boxes her mother brought home from her job at the post office. In Charlotte's backyard was a glorious red oak that towered over her house. The tree featured in several of her initial stories and eventually became her hallmark, appearing as an illustrated cameo in the very least. In one tale, a young warrior clearly modeled after Charlotte battled fire demons up to the top branch, where she was crowned queen of all tall things, empress of earth and goddess of the galaxy. She often wrote while perched under the tree. In the winter, she positioned her desk to face the rear window of her bedroom so she could look at it for inspiration. During her last summer with the tree, She carved a big hole in the trunk. It took months of digging and scraping with a garden hoe and a pair of weed cutters. By August, there was a large enough hole for her to shove most of her stories inside. Copies, of course. She moved shortly after. Her mother needed to find a new home after, after her father left. And in her mind, she pictured that tree budding year after year, blossoming with her words and images, blooming with fiction, blooming with fresh books and stories and pages and drawings and words wrought naturally from the limbs, blessing the earth underneath in the fall, gifting would-be readers with a fresh harvest of tales. She pictured her words spiraling into the surface of the stump, lining the tree rings in one long, epic yarn, spinning longer each year the tree grew.
3: But what really happened to it? Ms. Linda Coolidge?
4: Wake up, Charlotte. You have our city to run.
3: Ms. Linda Coolidge? Yes, um... I'm sorry, what is it, Melissa? You told me to remind you 20 minutes before... Are we going to be on time? Well, uh, there's a good chance we will be. A good chance? A strong probability. I'll what was the delay? Ms. Lindsay so How many times do I have to tell you? Call me Charlotte. I'm sorry, Charlotte. Your family's here? Shit! Of course. Monty needs to eat. Uh, why didn't you tell me? You, you didn't quite give me a chance, Ms. Uh, Charlotte. Come in with them. I need to ask you something. While you nurse? (laughs) Two birds, one stone. Hop two.
6: Good morning, passengers. It's 10.14 a.m. and we're approaching Broadway Station. A friendly reminder that we did have a slight delay this morning and so we will be offering emergency shuttle services at the next stop for any citizens with approvable work or health-related deadline. Submit your documentation by the end of the month and the lead car will reimburse you accordingly. We do apologize about the inconvenience and remember to thank your real hosts for their hospitality.
3: Oh, sweet little monkey.
7: What was the delay? Nice to see you too. I've got 15 minutes before the interview. I don't have time for small talk. You don't have time for any talk. You don't even have time to sleep.
3: Exactly. So I'd expect you to acknowledge that fact and try to be a little more sympathetic. I think I should go... Plant yourself. The delay, what was it? It was
7: more of those posters. The lottery is coming. How many? One on every other car covering windows. But of course nobody sees a thing. Did anyone check the cameras yet? We've been focused on removing the posters as quickly
3: as possible. It'll take someone hours to go through all the footage, and we... We don't have time. We never have time. We don't have time because we constantly have to be on time, so we never have time. I'm sorry for snapping, Melissa. Do anything you can to make sure we make the interview. We'll make it on time, and I'll give him a nice warm welcome. Yes, thank you. What's his name again? Chuck. Chuck.
7: Chuck. Chuck. A real mother chucker. Thank you. Just trying to add some levity. I'm too
3: tired to laugh or cry or feel much of anything right now, and I need to focus on putting on my BS face for
7: this mother chucker. so. I wanted to tell you. Ah, I was reading this article the other day about how breastfeeding culture is like 95% bullshit. Gemma, not in front of the baby. Right, sorry. But anyway, breastfeeding! It's been over-mythologized and turned into this ridiculous mommy gospel. Baby, better drink from your tits, or he'll never get into an Ivy League college, and he'll work mopping gas station bathrooms his whole life. We talked about this. We also talked about how you aren't getting enough sleep. Like, mere seconds ago. I don't mind feeding him, and there are some really good formulas out there. More natural ones. You don't have to. I, I like to. I want to. It's
3: one of the few times I get to see him lately. Oh, God. When he looks at me, he probably
7: just thinks of a baby version of a refrigerator or something. Or like a freshly baked chicken, like in one of those old cartoons.
3: <laughs> uh, made a vision. You know, Chuck Jones stole that from Charlie Chaplin. Oh, good boy, Monty.
7: What did he say? I thought you told me not to What do. did
3: he say?
7: He's worried about you. What is it? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Ms... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Charlotte, um... One of
3: the house cars was just uh, vandalized, possibly burglarized, a big red. <sighs> of course it was. On the Ashmont line. It just happened. It's possible he wouldn't have heard about it, but... He's a journalist. If he's halfway decent, he'll know. Give me the details immediately so I'm prepared. Are we going to make it on time? I'll make sure we do. I can look into it.
7: <sighs> it doesn't matter. Hey, this stuff happens. It doesn't have to be perfect, you know. It does. It absolutely does. Or at least as close to perfect as
3: possible. With how it all started, with how weird it all is, if it doesn't work, if one thing is off, then
7: it all looks... Who cares? Blow the stupid interview off. Does this guy live here? He's going to try any angle he can to slam you, so why give him the opportunity? I'm not going to let him slam me. Or the city. I'm, a- I'm prepared for this. At the end of the day, though, you don't own it all. You can't. You can't control everything, so... Crime report forwarded to your email right now. I've got to read this. Monday's finished. Burping for me? Sure. Maybe I'll talk to you the next time you need to feed the air apparent. I'm sorry. I have a city to run. Whose city? <laughs>
6: Folks, we're pulling into JFK Mass now. I'd like to remind everyone, both on the platform and in the train, that this is a commutity car. If you're visiting from out of town or just generally unfamiliar, welcome to Red Line, the only suburban free-roaming city in the known world. In order to accommodate both the residents of Redline and greater Boston commuters, we've set aside a dozen or so specific trains that run during peak business hours residents of redline who have volunteered to live within the community cars enjoy discounted housing for allowing commuters into their homes as guests during their ride please pay your fare directly to your rail hosts payments will go directly to help support our unique city which helps guarantee your next trip will be just as pleasant as this one if you're interested in becoming a resident of redline ask your rail host for a flyer they'll be more than happy to share their experience with you Welcome to Red Line if you're just joining us. If you're leaving Red Line, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you underground the next time you've got somewhere to go.
1: Thank you for meeting me.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure. Please, have a seat.
1: I'm uh, I'm going to record you. Is that okay?
3: Of course. Okay.
1: Charlotte, where is the mayor of the Red Line?
3: Uh... Mm. It's a little early to tell. We'll find out in five months.
1: I don't mean the future mayor. I mean, you know, the...
3: As I've told the press several times before, I am unaware of the mayor's current whereabouts.
1: What was the last thing you heard from him?
3: I'd i really like to focus on the city, if you don't mind.
1: I'm sorry. Okay. Off the record here, I can tell you're, you know, you're not... I, I can. Oh, tell. no,
3: it's fine. It's just... It's,
1: it's my boss. This whole story has people's attention. Like, some people don't even believe it guy wins the referendum and just takes off it's like you know it's like the mystery of it right the more people wonder where he went the more they talk about where he could be some people don't even believe it they think it's like a publicity stunt or something and other people think that it's like a spook story like if you become a citizen you might spot the mayor preaching between cars or he'll lull you to bed at night with lullabies sung from the operators intercom you know just please bear with me bearing okay picking back up What was the last thing you heard the mayor say to you? Good luck. Was that about running the city?
3: Oh no, my water just broke.
1: Of course, congratulations. Uh, Shortly before I met you, I received word of an outbound Ashmont train being burglarized, a big red rail home. Would you care to comment on that?
3: Oh, well, it sounds more like vandalism than burglary. A commuter tried to spray paint over a residence wall. When the resident stopped him, he stole a coffee mug on his way out the door. Hardly anything warranting a burglary charge, but all the same, we are investigating the incident. When we identify the suspect, he'll be charged with a fine and exiled from the city for at least one month.
1: Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? No. Exiled from the city?
3: For one month. We're a unique city. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. We need to have unique laws.
1: Can you really expect to keep this city safe?
3: I do keep this city safe. Not just me, our city security- Don't situations
1: like this underline how dangerous Redline can be, especially for residents?
3: Every city has crime, but I operate under the assumption that most people, if not all people, don't want to break the law. Crime happens, of course, but our city functions on the assumption of trust in one another, and our crime rate is one of the lowest in Massachusetts.
1: Does Redline have a prison? No. A city jail?
3: I mean, I don't think there are many cities that don't have some kind- Where is it? shaman station.
1: Why Dorchester?
3: Well the foundation of the station proved to be the easiest to convert for our needs.
1: You've come under some fire from neighborhood organizers like Isabel Powell for several reasons including the segregated demographics of Redline and the choice of shaman for the prison. It's
3: not a prison. What
1: do you have to say about that?
3: I'm meeting with Ms. Powell later today and I'm looking forward to addressing her concerns directly.
1: Do you mind if I ask you what the lottery is?
3: I'm afraid I can't answer that.
1: What else can't you answer about your own city?
3: It's not my city, the city's run by its residents. I'm solely the acting interim mayor, trying my best to be a leader. And I can't tell you what the lottery is, um, because it's a surprise for our citizens.
1: A surprise?
3: Mm Mhm, yeah. Yeah, you've heard of surprises before, I imagine. Like when a transit system transforms into a city, descends into chaos, and is salvaged from the brink of anarchy by brilliant urban planning, obsessive attention to detail, and tremendous loss of sleep.
1: We have reports of posters popping up all over the city, warning citizens that the lottery is coming.
3: Well, they're advertisements, not warnings, and I'm sure you're aware in order for the city to run as efficiently as it must, we pay our employees a tremendous compensation, especially the train operators, ensuring the best possible commutes imaginable. That, in combination with expedited service during peak travel times and we've literally made sure the trains run on time. The lottery will be a way to build excitement in our community as well as generating revenue to continue with this trend.
1: Okay, if that's the case, why have all the posters mysteriously vanished right after confirmation of their appearance in Redline?
3: What did you say before? It's the mystery of it. The more people don't know, the more they talk about it.
1: You don't actually believe that, do you?
3: Well, you tell me. You're the one who brought it up.
1: One last question. Do you really think you have what it takes to be mayor? Yes. Forgive me, but your background is in backgrounds.
3: That's correct.
1: You're an animator, an artist, and not even like the person who does all the exciting stuff in cartoons, the action.
3: Uh, sure, the action in the foreground, the exciting stuff. But what does it do? It moves. It's unpredictable, distracting. The background, though? Stable, constant. That's what a city needs.
1: That's a bit of a stretch, don't you think? In terms of making an argument about why you're qualified to run an entire city, especially a city like this?
3: Why don't you ask our residents that question? Or the commuters? Or better yet, ask the mayor of the red line if you can find him.
1: Of course. Well, I think that's all I have. Thank you for your time, Charlotte. Ms. Mayor. Ms. Mayor. Off the record, one more question if you don't mind. Have you heard that some residents want to draft your wife as a mayoral candidate? There's like a petition going around. Draft Gemma, all thanks to her being one of the biggest city organizers the day the referendum passed?
3: Oh, Gemma is an interest in the position.
1: Why weren't you there the day it all went down?
3: I was in the hospital.
1: The baby, right. But Gemma had the baby with her, didn't she? Isn't that funny?
3: Enjoy your stay in Redline, Chuck.
1: Have a wonderful afternoon, Miss Lindsay Coolidge. And good luck with the election campaign.
0: Louisa's here to see you. I'm ready for her. Hey, I so I was thinking about our fiscal meeting last night and I I, Charlotte, are you okay? Is he gone? Who? The boob from Seven News? Yeah, it looks like it. How did it go? Well, it could have gone better. Uh, he questioned my leadership ability,
3: made mountains out of every possible redline molehill, and simultaneously ignored the gargantuan levels of blood, sweat, and tears I continually pour into this place to keep it together. And he asked about the lottery. What did you say? I may not have been completely honest with him. What did you say? I told Tim we were responsible for the ads and took them down because we wanted to build a sense of mystery about what the lottery means. Oh. Well, that's actually pretty smart. But now I have to come up with some kind of lottery. Well, how hard can that be? It's not like we don't need the money. But what
0: do I do when the real lottery crap actually happens? The people who actually put up the posters? Well, discredit them. You run a city. All they've done is put up some dumb signs. Oh, speaking of which, I've only got a couple of minutes and I had an idea about how we can make some cash. Oh, I'm all ears weddings. Take a look at these. Oh my god, these are incredible. When was this? A couple months before the referendum and the clients were kind of garbage human beings and the whole wedding was a gigantic red line pain in the ass. But if we could rent one of the trains to people maybe use the station for the ceremony and if we could use some of these for advertisements I mean, I think we could make some real money. That's funny. I, I think I remember this. It was the day I... Can we really use these images? I own the copyright. I don't see why not. Oh, this is amazing. Thank you. You've been a real breath of fresh air today. <laughs> Considering we're in an underground city, that's quite the compliment. Tell Gemma I said hi. Oh, speaking of which, any luck with the crystal? Oh, she's still asking about it. I haven't seen anything new. I- I'm keeping my ear to the ground. I I just can't help thinking Gemma had her iPhone out, her bi- diaper bag was with her, her purse, and why would someone take the crystal ball? think someone had a personal motive to take it? I can't understand why they would otherwise, but I also just can't understand a motive. It's very odd. Oh, speaking of motive, thank you for how fast you took pictures of that big
3: red vandalization. Thank you for everything.
1: What's been the hardest thing that you've had to manage or handle or run on your own, and why
4: was it difficult?
6: School.
0: I would say school.
6: Probably balancing school and work. School, I guess, because... Uh, I have an IAP so it was kind of hard for me. Money. Probably
1: getting into the routine of
4: cooking, living, keeping clean. I had to go through a transition process from going to school in Haiti and then coming here, not only having to learn the language, but just coping with the new system. and.
2: You know, when you get your first job, I got my first job when I was 14, And I thought, oh my gosh, I have all this money in the world, like I can spend it on everything. And then it comes time to like when your parents see like, oh, she has a job and maybe she can help with this and maybe she can help with that.
6: You know, get my studies done and get my work done, but also make money and have to pay my bills because I also have bills. I'm not just a student like it was like in high school or whatever. Mm -hmm. Finding a place to sleep because I used to be homeless
0: and cops would continuously kick you out of where you're sleeping. I to like get help on that like
6: constantly, and teachers's been helping me like you know sound the words and stuff so
2: and since I'm like a first generation of in my family to go to college, it's kind of like hard because none of my parents know anything about college, so everything is like on you, and you have to do everything by yourself, just keeping track of your money, even though you want to spend your money on everything, I think it's completely hard um
4: a lot of stuff I had to learn on my own, a lack of guidance and Um, the structure that I needed for school.
2: And the reason why it's difficult is because you have so many stuff going outside of school, especially you have to work to get to school, like to be able to afford it.
4: I don't know, I think my personal being is like the hardest thing I have to manage on my own, like um, my emotions and stuff, I don't know. Yeah, my feelings. Handling my feelings on my own without talking to anybody about it has been the hardest thing to do.
3: Ms. Powell is here for you? Thank you. Send her in right away. Ms. Powell, wonderful to meet you. Mayor Lindsay Coolidge. It's truly a pleasure. Oh, no need to call me that until it actually happens. Charlotte is perfectly fine.
2: Of course. Charlotte. Have a seat. I'm impressed with the modesty of your office. Very tight and cozy in here. How I like it. I'm sure you haven't had much time for for frivolity. I'm always amazed when people fall into important positions and make interior decorating their primary concern. Thank you. The truth is,
3: if I'd had time, I'd work on making this a little more welcoming. But time is a commodity
2: around here in more ways than one. (laughs) It's simply marvelous. The level of organization. Mm. I have this nephew... Commutes to Tufts in Somerville, all the way from Dorchester. His first semester grades were rotten. I'm helping out with tuition, and our agreement is, I see his grades, he gets my check. So midterms rolls around, and I get a peek. What's going on, I ask him. Nothing, he mumbles. Always mumbling, but this was a particularly sullen mumble so I get it out of him eventually. Tells me it's the commute. It's simply too far, and with the constant train delays, he's consistently late. Some classes, if he's tardy, he gets a zero that day. Doesn't matter how good his work is, how much he studies. I need to live closer, he says, on campus, but I can't afford it, so I looked into it myself. Housing on campus is downright criminal and rent up there is certifiably insane. I'm old enough to remember when Somerville was actually somewhat affordable. Those days are gone. Still, we worked out a plan and started putting a little nest egg away. Get through the semester, I tell him, and I'll figure something out. Salvage this. Some kids his age, you know, they have this issue going one or two blocks. The closer they are, the harder it is for them to get their ass to class. He's not like that, you understand. He's a good boy. And this semester, he hasn't been late once, not once. And that's all thanks to you. Oh, hardly. Oh, don't sell yourself short. This is all you're doing, your planning, your organization, simply marvelous. Which begs the question, why didn't you implement it earlier? Excuse me? Don't get me wrong. It's admirable how you were able to pick up the pieces. I just don't understand why everything had to be destroyed in the first place. I, I, I wasn't. I mean, the mayor left and we, we just all assumed... Ah, yes, assumptions. Very dangerous, aren't they? Like the assumption that Salmut Station would make a fine jail for your city.
3: Miss Powell, you need to understand, this was never supposed to be my responsibility. I had no idea the mayor planned to abandon us. I believed in him. Do you know how much that hurts? I was certain that
2: he'd thought this through. I want to believe you, Charlotte. But tell me which is worse. The idea that the mayor had no plan for the city should the referendum pass, or that he did have plans and failed to share them with his second-in-command. There were never
3: any concrete plans, only suggestions, conversations. I mean, to be honest, I never thought the referendum would pass. But I'm here now. I'm listening. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to address your concerns. Good.
2: Because the demographics of Red Line demand dramatic readjustments up and down the line. Readjustments? That's correct. What kind of readjustments? I'd think that would be obvious. Red Line is the name of our city. But there are several people I know who think of it not as a city, but as a barrier. A line we were, we are forbidden to cross. A line separating us from better educational opportunity, or opening a small business, or a new life in a safer neighborhood. A line denying us a housing loan, a line encircling us, encircling the entire neighborhoods of Dorchester, Roxbury, and Mattapan. You know about the line I'm referring to, yes? I know enough. Enough frequently isn't enough. You could help us take back the term red line. Turn it into a a symbol of change and opportunity. But if Red Line keeps the same dynamics as the greater Boston area it sprang from, it'll all be for nothing. But that, I mean,
3: doesn't that dynamic make a certain amount of sense? For whom?
2: I mean, I just don't understand how el- what else we can do. Dramatic readjustments up and down the entire line. Housing readjustments? Correct. Don't you see how impractical that is?
3: impractical. You'd be asking people to move out of their homes they've been living in for almost a year and many of them have made tremendous sacrifices opening their doors to strangers. Our city moves. It's not stationary and all sorts of
2: people step into their homes on a daily basis. I'm not talking about the commuters. I'm talking about the residents. And when you look at the demographics of the people forced to open their doors to commuters for the benefit of discounted housing, versus those who refuse, those who have the privilege of paying more rather than opening their doors to any soul they don't know, well, I'm guessing it isn't a terribly big surprise how those demographics break down. Your system is income-based, which amplifies the already existing inequality. Change would be slow, but it's hardly impractical. You'd begin with the mandate that in order to live on Red Line, everyone would need to open their doors to commuters for at least part of the day. From there, you could slowly and and systematically embrace a unified system of complete equality. Ms.
3: Powell, I greatly respect your position, but you cannot put this all on me to change.
2: I'm not. I knew you'd oppose. I came here today as a courtesy. I'm running against you for mayor of Redline. I see. Your city is like our history, Charlotte. Yes, it moves. But the more it moves, the faster it goes. The more things stay exactly the same. Good luck to you, Ms. Powell. I
3: hope you plan to campaign on the impractical ideas you've outlined to me here. I have no doubt you'll
2: lose if you do. Mm-hmm, that word again impractical. If you knew what I knew, Charlotte, felt what I felt, you know this is beyond practical. It's necessary. The fact that you can't see that proves to me that you are not the one who should be leading our city, despite all of your hard work. I think you underestimate me. Oh, I have no doubt. And good luck to your nephew as well. I'll pass that along. Although, I'm not sure Isaiah will be able to forgive you. I thought you said, oh, yes, well. He worked incredibly hard to salvage that first semester. But when the referendum passed, Redline fell into such chaos that he was unable to make it to school for months after. The winter got colder, and he tried everything. Tried biking, even. But just couldn't manage it. Isaiah voted yes for the referendum, by the way. He had his assumptions, too. Good day.
4: And so, long after Charlotte moved away, the Tree of Tales continued to bloom with fresh stories and... No. Uh,
8: Excuse me? The Tree never sprouted with stories. Charlotte's imagination may have blossomed with possibility, but her stories failed to serve as seeds. In fact, exactly one year and seven months following Charlotte's move, the tree in her backyard began to die. It withered slowly, the branches turning brittle and neon white. Few of Charlotte's stories managed to stay lodged inside the hollowed trunk, and none managed to merge with their red oak host. While some were stuck deep inside the dying bark, Others blew away, until their words and images were ruined by mud, rain, or other such natural censors. Two years and three months after Charlotte and her mother moved away, new owners purchased their former residence and chopped the tree down at the stump, using the wood for timber, burning piece by piece in their freshly installed fireplace. All that remained behind was a thick stump. No words spiraled along its center. Only bare tree rings. Circles within circles. Finally, even the stump was removed. Its roots pulled from the earth. Fresh grass was planted where the tree had been. And soon, it was like the tree had never existed. But in Charlotte's mind, the
4: tree grew. Its leaves budded and blossomed with her words and fiction. And no story grew greater than the one she told herself. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. You can follow Greater Boston on Twitter at In greater Boston, and you can help keep the show running by supporting our Patreon campaign or by sharing the show with your friends. In order of appearance, this episode featured... Alexander Danner as the narrator, Summer Unson as Charlotte Linzer Coolidge, James Kapobianco as the mayor of the Red Line, Tanya Maloyevich as Melissa Weatherby, James Johansson as Rusty the MBTA driver, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, Jeff Van Driesen as Chuck Octagon, Julia Propp as Luisa Alvarez, Jessica Washington as Isabel Powell, and Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis. Interviews recorded with Greater Boston Residents. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Teedy. Train Jam performed by Adrienne Howard and Emily Peterson. Dream music by Jeff Van Driesen. Drum tracks by Jim Johansen. Some sound effects and music used from public domain and creative Commons sources. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com.
3: I told him we were responsible for the ads and took them down because we wanted to build a sense of mystery about what the l- 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 be- they'll
0: Oh, well that sounds pretty <laughs> smart. <laughs> I love it when that happens. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
5: Dum Dums and Dice would like to welcome you to the grim darkness of the 41st millennium in The Valentine Heresy. An actual play podcast set in the Genesis adaptation of Warhammer 40,000's Dark Heresy RPG. Newly promoted Inquisitor Lucius Valentine has received visions of the death of the immortal God Emperor. With few options before him, he teams up with hive-bred criminal siblings Lyric and Alto. Together, they must defeat a cabal of shadowy foes to save the Emperor and the Imperium. Can this trio of unlikely heroes survive in a galaxy where there is only war? The Emperor is going to die in a year. My job is to make sure the Emperor doesn't die. Because if the Emperor dies the Astronomicon goes out. And the only thing keeping the Imperium alive is the fact that we have a very large navy and a very large army and space marines, and they shoot everyone. It's delightful. Praise the Emperor. Thanks for that. But if the Astronomicon goes out, we have no navy, we have no ability to defend ourselves, and the Xenos and Chaos will overrun us instantly because there will be no defense. So every planet will turn out like Galen's glory? And that would be the best case scenario, which is why we need to keep the emperor on his throne.
3: I spit in my palm and put my hand out for a
5: handshake. Am I supposed to do something in return? Is this, I'm sorry, I just don't know what this is. Alto's like, yeah, like this, He spits in his hand and puts it out towards you as well. Then I spit in both palms and shake their hands separately. <laughs> we have an inquisitorial band. Warhammer 40,000. The Valentine Heresy. Available now.